people. I had like about 70 people and about 30 pastors at a leadership <laughs> meeting in Branson, and it was just wonderful, man. Really good. People out in the Midwest, Missouri, Arkansas. Um, it was wonderful, man. Some of them you guys know. We've had Connie Witter here before. Um, it was her, her <laughs> conference. And then uh, Arthur Menjez was there. He was speaking. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that has been here. I don't think so. But anyway, it was good. But it's good to be home. Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, thing God's really laid on my heart is, uh, how many know that um, in, in life and just the way that God has set things up, <clears throat> that things are done in seasons? You have different seasons of your life. And, uh, you know, obviously we have <clears throat> four seasons in one week in Kentucky. And, uh, but the way, the way God set these things up, he said, <clears throat> seed, time, and harvest, um, and seasons, day and night and seasons will remain as long as the earth remains. And so there is a physical sense of seasons, and, but then how many know there's also seasons that we go through personally in your life? You're going to have seasons of growth, <clears throat> seasons of relationship, seasons of being an idiot, Seasons of God rescuing you from being an idiot. Um, seasons of challenging times. Um, and then seasons of times where you're on top of the world and everything seems great. Can everybody relate to that? Everybody agree with that? And, um, and so that's a part of being on earth is navigating those seasons. <clears throat> God will help you navigate those seasons. But what I want to talk about today is a specific type of season that scripture refers to, and it does not refer to this being some extensive period of time. This is kind of a short season, but it is a season of extreme attack. Um, how many know that we have an enemy? And how many know he's trying to kill you <laughs> at the core root? He's trying to bring death into your life. And so that death can come a lot of different ways. How I many of you know sin brings death? And um, sin is, um, it, it brings death, period. It brings death for the non-believer. It brings death for the, for the believer. And so the enemy is always trying to bring death into the life that God has given you. <clears throat> and he does that through temptation. He does that through trying to get people to take the bait. But then he, then he also will segregate and set aside a season where he'll try to hit you with everything he has right before you're about to step into a time of breakthrough that God has for your life. And so <clears throat> what he's trying to do is he's trying to hit you with everything that he has to try to get you to quit before you round the corner <clears throat> and you step into the next season that God has for your life, which is, uh, how many know that God only has good things for you, right? He has, uh, he has increase for you, He has blessing for you, He has protection for you, He has favor for you, He has opportunity for you. The, he knows the thoughts that He thinks towards you to give you a future and a hope you haven't expected in, in the heart and mind of God. He's already dreamed up your life, and He has good things for you. But there's an enemy that has bad things for you, and He's trying to bring to pass His will for your life, God's trying to bring, bring to pass His will for your life, but the person that's in the driver's seat on what road you take is you. You are the one that decides. Uh, the one thing that God has not placed solely within His power is the ability to choose. You've been given that ability, and it's not going to be taken away from you. It's what makes you different than every other type of creation. My dog doesn't have much, he has choice, but his choice rolls within the range of his instincts. He doesn't have free thought. He doesn't know good and evil. He can't make a moral or an immoral decision, right? That is reserved for humanity, and so you have the ability to choose. And so God says, I'm not going to choose for you. How many of you know he didn't choose for Adam and Eve in the garden? He said, I give you choices. You can choose to obey me, you can choose to disobey me, but I'm still giving you the choice. <clears throat> And so that freedom of choice is powerful. That freedom of choice is actually what makes us the most like God. How I many you know we're created in God's image? God said in the day that they eat that fruit, they'll be like us, knowing good and evil. This is what makes us created in the image of God, is that we have the ability to choose. <clears throat> and so 
that's not going to be taken away from us. And so God presents to you, he says, I give you life and death, choose life. He gives us the test, and he tells us the answer, right? And so we have a decision to make on what we're going to do in different seasons of our life <clears throat> because how many know that we don't want what the enemy has for us? How many know we want what God has for us, right? And there is a contending for the promises of God. How many of the promises of God are not automatic? I mean, they don't just happen like a microwave. How many know that there are times when what it says in Scripture, in terms of promises, is contrary to what you're presently experiencing in your life? And how many know that is the fight of faith? Right? That I'm going to trust that God is going to bring everything to pass. I'm going to trust that God is going to do, do His part, His promise, even when I don't see it, when I don't feel it. In fact, everything in my life looks like it's going contrary to the direction of the promises of God. In fact, it looks like I am manifesting the opposite of the promises. <clears throat> there is not one single person in Scripture that has not dealt with that. No one came out of the womb of heaven with a silver spoon in their mouth and never faced any adversity. Not David, not Moses, not Elijah, not Enoch, not Adam, not even Jesus Christ. I mean, no, Jesus faced greater adversity than anybody ever faced, right? So, <clears throat> we have a decision to make concerning taking a stand for what God has promised to us and our children, right? I don't want the world to tell me what I can and cannot have in 2022. Come on. Amen. I don't want the world to tell me the way my life's going to run, what type of fruit that's going to be on my tree. The world does not have the authority to tell me how my life is going to be. Amen. God has that authority, right? And God said that if I won't trust in man, that I will bring forth fruit in my season, regardless of how, many, how much heat is out there, how much drought is out there. Because if I place my trust in the Lord, then I'm like a tree that's planted by a river. My roots go down deep into a system that can't be affected by the absence of rain or famine. My roots go down deep into a river that never runs dry. A river that can bring forth fruit in such a dramatic fashion that I will stand out as a witness to the whole world that surely God is with this man. Surely God is with this woman. Surely God is with this family. Surely there is light in Goshen. Because the plague doesn't have a right to touch those that are in Goshen. What is Goshen, Jeremiah? Goshen is a place in Egypt that was set apart for God's people, for the Hebrew children. And when the plagues hit, the, hit Egypt, Egypt represents the world, the plagues did not hit Goshen. The destruction did not hit Goshen. Goshen was safe and protected. When darkness hit the land, there was still light in Goshen, right? Goshen, your Goshen is not a geographical location. Your Goshen is Jesus Christ. Jesus has become your Goshen. He's become your residency. Jesus is now your zip code. Jesus is where you live. You don't have an identity apart from Jesus. If you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you haven't, then get saved. If you're watching this and you haven't received Jesus, get saved. Get in Goshen. Get in the ark. Get in the safe place. Easiest thing in the world is free. But Jesus has become your identity. How I many old things have passed away and all things have become new? Right? And so now that you're in Christ, you're, you are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, which means that you are just as right with God as Jesus is. 
Jesus isn't more right with God than you are. Just like my arm, this arm is not more Jeremiah than this arm. I mean, no, you're now in Christ. You're a part of the body of Christ, right? Amen. And so now you have this place of safety and this place of promise in the midst of the storm that's being that, that that's unleashed in the world. And your call to be fruitful during this time is not just a call for you personally, for you and your family. It's also a witness to the world that there is another system than our government to provide our needs. I mean, you know, the kingdom of God cannot be shaken, right? Hebrews chapter 13, everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that that which cannot be shaken may remain. If you want to see what's, say I have one item up here that's glued to this pulpit, and I ask you to guess. I mean, you know, you really don't know. But if I shake it, we're all going to find out what's connected, right? How many know that everything that can be shaken will be shaken is being shaken right now? Money's being shaken, the government's being shaken. You know, NATO's being shaken. The political arena's being shaken. If it can't be shaken, it, it will be shaken. Now, don't be afraid, okay? Because you have something that cannot be shaken. And that's what you're standing on. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All around are sinking sands. Come on. Right? So... It's not a time to draw back. It's not a time to be afraid. It's not a time to, it's a time to shine. Amen? Rise and shine. Isaiah 60, your light has come. Gross darkness has, or darkness has covered the land. Gross darkness has covered the people. But arise and shine, for the light has risen upon you. Kings will come to the brightness of your rising. Right? So, apart of your brightness is the blessing of the Lord on your life, right? So what's it, what light's the enemy going to try to turn off? The blessing of the Lord on your life. What's he going to try to attack? Health, finances, peace, relationships. He's going to try to hit fear. All these things for the purpose of turning your light down so that the people in darkness don't see your light. Because the people, a lot of times, they don't understand the gospel. Like, they don't, not everybody understands the gospel. But how many know, everybody, everybody understands joy. Everybody understands peace. Everybody understands kindness, generosity. People understand those things. And they can see that on you without your Christian t-shirt. They don't need your K-love to see that. Sometimes I think we're better off not wearing our K-love. I do. Because I'm, I'm looking to shine to a people who have been turned off by religion. And so I just want to let them know I'm not of that sect either. <laughs> Nothing against Caleb. I listened to Caleb on the way to church this morning, you know. But I'm just saying, your representation of the kingdom and of Jesus Christ, primarily, number one, is your character, your fruit, your love, your peace, your joy, your kindness, your goodness, all of those things. And um, that's what really sets us apart, and that's what people need to see, and that's what's going to shine in the darkness. But then secondarily, it's also the blessing of the Lord on your life in terms of concrete things as well. And so the enemy is going to try to attack your character, and then he's also going to try to attack your finances and your health and your relationships, right? Now, I don't say that to celebrate him, but I do say that to, to, to coincide with the statement in the Scripture that says, do not be ignorant of his devices. So let's all call him out. That's what he's trying to do. He's not going to be successful, but you may have a season of attack where you need to be encouraged, so that you understand it's just a season of attack. It's not your place of arrival or your destiny or your life. You need to know it's a season, right? Because if you don't know it's a season, then what is supposed to just be a season can seem like forever. How I many know it's easier to take a trip when you know how far you got to go? 
Isn't GPS a blessing? How much farther we got? Six hours. Oh, my gosh. How much farther we got? Three minutes, you know. But if you don't know when the destination time happens, how many know a short season can seem like an eternity because you don't know when you're going to arrive? And how many know you don't know when the season of attack is over? How many know you can be one day away from absolute breakthrough? One moment away. Think about... Daniel, all the hell he went through, betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, went to, you know, went to Potiphar's house as a slave, got wrongly accused, went to prison, in prison. Joseph, excuse me, thank you, Joseph, thank you. Joseph in there, no, everybody forgets about him. And the night before he's about to be promoted to the second most powerful man in the world, he's in prison. But his destination is about to come. It's about to happen. There were 24 hours away, 12 hours away, 6 hours away, 3 hours away, 1 hour away, 30 minutes away, 2 minutes away to where all the hell that he had been through, he was going to be in a moment vindicated to the point that no one would ever be able to accuse him again of anything. How I many you know he wasn't just vindicated in the eyes of the Egyptians? How I many you know he was vindicated in the eyes of his family, his, his brothers? How I many you know he had an opportunity to come into that family and bring restoration? And how I many you know that it was through blessing? Amen. Jacob did not believe, Jacob wouldn't believe until he saw the wagons. Jacob was uh, his father, and they did, he didn't believe that he was still alive. But then when he saw the wagons, he believed. What do you, what do you mean? Some people aren't going to believe until they see the, the, the blessing and the promises manifest in your life in a physical sense. Because some people can't believe what they can't see. Right? How many of there are Thomases? And how many of God's okay with the Thomas? He's like, it's cool. Thomas can still be a part of the club. He gets to come. How I many know oh, you don't doubt and get left out in God's kingdom? You know what I'm saying? Amen. We can't ever, everybody can't be Mary and James and John. Somebody got to be Thomas and be like, man, I don't know about this stuff. <laughs> Y'all tracking me here. But how I many you know Thomas still came, still believed, still received, just the same as everybody else did? So there are people on your journey that aren't going to believe until they see your stuff. But God's going to bring that to pass in your life. All those promises. Amen? So, in Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 13, it says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Now, what I'm talking about here is the evil day. And it, it, it's referring to a season when the enemy tries to throw everything that he can at you to try to get you to quit. <clears throat> and, you know, in, in, in this type of orchestrated attack, can not, not just in one area. You ever had a time in your life when you felt like you had 30 fires going? Like everything's on fire. From the, you know, from from the, from the business to the to the pets, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. From from the you know the car to to you know anything that can go wrong has went wrong, right? Anybody ever had a season like that? And it all just comes together, right? Well, what I want you to understand is it's a coordinated, strategic attack to try to get you to quit and try to get you to to feel hopeless, right? And how we handle those moments are huge. Because what I would, you know, and, and biblically, what, what they would talk about from a warfare perspective is there would be times when an army would lay siege to another city, right? 
<clears throat> and the purpose of that siege was to try to cut everything going out and cut off everything going in and bring them into a place of, of just subservience through siege. How I many know that's happening right now in Kiev in Ukraine? They're laying siege, uh, they're trying to lay siege uh, to that city. And it's attacked from all sides. There's not one side that's not attacked. And so the enemy will try to bring in an evil day or an evil week or whatever and try to attack you on all sides for the purpose of trying to get you to give up. Now, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, please. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. It says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. So he's like, I know this seems crazy. I know everything going wrong at once seems nuts. And I know this seems like a strange thing, but this is not strange. This is a common strategy of the enemy to try to attack you and to get you to quit. See, if we think it's special, we're playing into the enemy's attack. What are you talking about? Because what's what enemy will say to you? Nobody's ever been through what you've been through. Nobody's ever done what you've done. You're different than everybody else, right? Why, why does he try to do that? Why is that, why is that a, an attempt of the enemy? Because if he can get you to feel special and different in the sense of what you've done or what you're going through, he can further isolate you away from everybody else. Yep. Because the more isolated he can get you away from everybody else, the weaker you become. The enemy doesn't attack the flock. The predator doesn't attack the flock. The predator tries to separate from the flock so that you lose the strength of the flock and you become prey. How many of a lamb rolling solo is not well protected? I mean, you know, a lamb needs other lambs, right? And so this attempt to, this strategic attempt to isolate is an attempt to weaken for the purpose of bringing destruction. And so what we have to do right now is we have to bring the truth of this verse into our hearts so that we don't fall into that deeper pit of isolation in the midst of the challenges that we're going through. Look at it again. Beloved, don't think it's strange. This is normal. <laughs> Everybody say it's normal. It's normal. What you're going through, other people are going through it. Might not be exactly the way you're going through it, but other people are going through stuff too. It's normal. It's not abnormal. Thinking not strange, this fiery trial, which is to try you as though such some strange thing happened to you. So we make a decision right now to not allow the enemy to isolate us from other people. Other people are going through what you're going through. Now, if you can somehow develop into a place of relationship with the people around you that are believers, and you can open up about your weakness, you will have an opportunity to enjoy a piece of ministry that very few Christians get to enjoy. I'm talking about confessing your faults to one another. If you can arrive to that place, it's such a place of maturity and trust, and there's a tremendous amount of healing that happens in that place because you know you're around someone who's not going to judge you, they're not going to condemn you, they're going to hear what you're going through, they're not going to allow what you're going through to become your identity or even your destination. They just understand that it's a part of your journey, and they love you through it. Can I get an amen for those people? That is what God wants for us. That's what church is supposed to be. Church is supposed to be that. Now, how often is it that? Not often. Unfortunately, most of the time, the church is a place where you try to act like you're awesome and pretend like you're awesome, and if you make a mistake, then the blood goes into the water and there's a feeding frenzy of condemnation towards the individual whose mistake was found out. Everybody else was making mistakes. They just hid theirs better. 
It's true. I mean, it's sad, but it's true. So, but that's not why God plans. That's not why God intends. God intends to have an atmosphere of, of vulnerability where you can trust people with your weaknesses. And so that's God's plan. Now, and so when the evil day comes, we have some decisions to make. Let's turn to Exodus 14. How are we going to handle it? Number one, we're going to understand that we're not alone, that there are other people that are going through what we're going through. Um, hopefully we'll make a decision to reach out to other people and talk. I know that's not always available, but that's definitely what you want. You want someone to, a safe place, a sounding board, talk you through something. But this, this battle that's coming against you, it's, it's really important for you to understand this is not a battle you fight in your own strength. You ever had a time in your life when you were just sucker punched and like you didn't really have a response because the breath was knocked out of you? Sometimes an evil day attack can come at you like a sucker punch where you don't know what to pray, you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do. But the beauty of the Lord is the Bible says that, that, that God will hear even a groan. Not even, it doesn't even have to be an intelligible word. When, 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 when Lily needs me, she doesn't have to say, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I need you. She doesn't have to say, Father. <laughs> right? Yeah. She doesn't have to do that. You know, the, all she's got to do is cry a little bit. And I'm like, bing. And how many know there are different types of cries? There's the I'm annoyed cry. There's the I want this cry. But then there's the I'm hurt cry. I need you to help me cry. And that cry turns something on inside of me as a father that can't be shut off. It's a, it's, it's, it's a call to action, right? Why? Because I love her. So when you get sucker punched by the enemy and the only thing you can do is cry, God's going to come in and rescue you because this is the Lord's battle, not yours. Somebody were trying to take a, you know, trying to come against my kids or something like that. I mean, you know, that's not their battle. That's my battle. <laughs> you know, because I love my kids. You want to see how strong my love is? Mess with something I love. You know, and so... God is coming into your life as a father to rescue you. Not because you've prayed perfectly. Not because you know his name perfectly. Not because you've done anything perfectly. But just because he loves you and you're his and you've cried out to him. And he will meet you. Because he is a good father. Right? So Exodus 14... And we see a similar scenario where Moses is got his back against the wall and the Red Sea is before them and there's an army of Egyptians behind them and it looks like God's people are going to die. That's what it looks like. And so, and then this is what the Lord says. Exodus 14, verse 23 or actually, it's not even what the Lord says, what Moses said. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you. You shall hold your peace. So, he's saying, don't do anything. Just stand still. That's, that's his words to them. How I many you know that is more difficult than taking up a sword to try to fight? Because, you know, my instinct is if there's 6,000 Egyptians coming, I'm going to pick up a rock or something, you know? I'm, I'm going to go out fighting, you know? But he says, don't be tempted to fight this battle in your own strength. I'm telling you, just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. When God gives us instruction concerning the evil day, 
It's always stand. Stand. Let's flip back over to it. Philippians. No, yeah, Ephesians. Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. So how do you handle the evil day? Stand. Just stand. How many know that rest is the greatest display of trust? And how many know it can be harder not to do anything than to try to do something in your own strength? Right? So Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 10 here, talking about the evil day. This is our approach. This is our wisdom. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all... To stand. Y'all see that? Everybody say stand. Stand. <clears throat> and then he says it again, verse 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this very end with perseverance and supplication for all the saints. He's, he's telling them, take what I've given you, know that you have it, and stand. Right? Now, during the standing, it's not time to judge yourself. If you're going to judge yourself while you stand, your stand is not going to be strong and your stand is not going to be long. Because you're going to say to yourself, I deserve this. You can't, you can't do that. You are not on trial. Jesus' righteousness is on trial. You're not standing based upon your own good conduct or your own good deeds, your accomplishments or your mistakes. You're how many on? on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All around are sinking sands, right? You got to take your stand in Jesus, right? So that when that evil day comes, you're not going to allow the enemy to slide you an envelope of condemnation. Here, have some poison with your hell that I'm putting you through. Because if you drink in the condemnation and say this is happening because you deserve it, then how many know the war within you will be even greater than the war around you? Because those voices of condemnation will slice you and dice you and leave you feeling totally unworthy of God's promises. How many of the promises in Him are yes and amen? He's the reason you get the promise. He's the reason you get deliverance. He's the reason you get healing. He's the reason you get favor. He's the reason. Can I get an amen? He is the reason. All the promises in Him are yes and amen, right? So when you're taking your stand... How I many of all the things that he describes are reminders of what's been given you in Christ? How I many of that breastplate of righteousness is what I'm talking about, keeping condemnation out, right? How I many of you received Jesus as Lord and Savior? You're the righteousness of God in Christ, right? What, is that, what does that breastplate do? It protects you from the fiery darts of the wicked one, right? It protects your heart. How I many of that breastplate is the place where it protects the vitals, right? Helmet of salvation, reminder 
of the fact that you're saved. Sword of the Spirit. Talking about the Word of God. Speaking out the Word. How I many know it's good to speak the Word in the midst of the battle? Can I get an amen? He says stand still. He don't say shut up. There's nowhere where he doesn't say run your mouth. He's saying don't pull a sword out of your buckle and slice somebody's ear off that I actually want to help. That's what he's saying. He's saying but stand still and run your mouth about my promises. How I many that's what David did? How I many know David made all kinds of mistakes? But you could not get David to shut up about how good God was. You just couldn't get him to shut up about it. He never ascribed goodness to himself. He ascribed weakness to himself. He ascribed goodness to God. That's the secret. That's the secret. That's a man after God's own heart. That's what he wants. That's what he's hungry for. He's not looking for perfection. He said, I just want somebody to believe that I'm good. Somebody come towards me. Somebody test me. You want to see how good I am? How good do you think I am? Because I'm better than that. Like he's, 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 he's so confident about his goodness. He's like, okay, what can you think of? Well, I'll do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or think. And we've just, we've not found a place where we've maxed the goodness of God out. It just, in fact, it can't be done. But God's like, who has the audacity to come the farthest? Who has the audacity to come and get what I have? Because it's free, and it's all yours, and it's not about what you've done. It's about what Jesus has done, but it's all yours. See, the level of boldness that you have in coming to the throne of grace is relative to how much you believe the cross is a success. If you don't think the cross is a success, then you will approach the throne like a beggar. If you believe the cross is a success, you'll come up in there like a son. It's true. It's true. It's what God wants, man. It's what God wants. I mean, how, how, how awful would it be for my four-year-old to come up to me and be like, Dad, I'm, I'm not worthy to eat at your table. Like, I mean, that, I mean, that's not good. A, he doesn't know who he is. B, he doesn't know who I am. So he doesn't know what's his. Right? I mean, we're not going to go that route. We're not going to do that, right? David ran towards God, ascribed goodness to God, worshiped the Lord. So, in your evil day, run your mouth about how big God is. Run your mouth about how thankful you are for Him. Rehearse your former victories. Talk about the lion that you slayed. Talk about the bear that you slayed. How many of y'all David did that before he fought Goliath? He rehearsed his victories. He's like, hey, there's Goliath, he's big, but the Lord empowered me to slay the bear? I mean, you got to call up your old testimonies where God came through for you. Can you get an amen? And, and give praise to God. Thank God for those things, right? So as you stand, don't stand silently. Run your mouth. That's the sword of the Spirit. Next thing, pray in the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you right now, I, I, there's nothing that in my life more important to me than praying in the Spirit and praying in the Holy Ghost. I don't talk about it a lot, but this is my life. Is, is, is it not my life either? How much do I pray in the Spirit? What would, hours, daily, what would you say? Hour a day or more. My whole life is built on praying the Spirit. Like even more than my study of Scripture, more than my listening to uh, preaching, like this, that, this is the backbone of my relationship with God. It's not like that for everybody. Not everybody has that type of relationship with God. Some people are more tuned in to worship. Some people are more tuned in to reading of the scriptures and study. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to have a relationship with God. Some people are more tuned in to just being with God in the open field, out on the, out on the lake. I mean, there's a million ways to spend time with God. But in this passage, it says, speak the word and pray in the spirit in the evil day, right? And stand. And so 
Let's turn to Second Kings and we close. So this is a valuable message for if you're going through an evil day or an evil season or whatever, or in the future you're going through it and you need something to listen to to help you through that moment, right? I, w- I want this message to be just a tool and a help for people. Because the beauty of it is, is on the other side of the evil day is tremendous blessing. Tremendous blessing, okay? What are you talking about, Jeremiah? Well, let, let me lay this out to you real quick before we step over into 2 Kings, and we're closing right here. Um, how many know that David experienced a season of his life called Ziglag? And what Ziglag was is David and his men were you know, currently in a state of rejection from Saul's army. Saul was trying to kill him all the time. And, but then what David was doing was like on the side, he was like fighting the Philistines and trying to protect the children of Israel and just kind of kind of do the right thing. But at the same time, you know, he's a, uh, you know, he's, he's out and he's not really doesn't have a home. And so while he's out taking care of the Philistines, this group comes, I think the Amalekites, and they burn the city that he was in and they take all of the women, all the children, all of the goods, they literally spoil David in his little 300-member army. So they come back, and it's all gone. And so these guys start crying. These guys start just being super upset. They're just totally just in despair. And then they reach a point where they're like, we, they start to blame David. They're like, we need to kill David. This is David's fault. We don't have our children. We don't have our wives. We don't have our stuff. And so everyone is upset, and everyone's now against David. So David is standing alone. He has no one to help him. He's experiencing his own uh, heartache and losing his wife and children and all of this stuff. And now all the people he's with are talking about killing him. And so how many know that's a bad day, right? And so he lost everything. And so, but here's the thing. How I many you know in that moment, what's it time to do? How I many you know it's time to draw near to the Lord? Right? And so David goes, he encourages himself in the Lord, and God speaks to him and gives him direction, says, Go, pursue, overtake, and recover all. So David comes back, he's like, I got a word from God. They go out, they pursue, they overtake, they conquer um, the army of people that had spoiled them. And what I want to show you is this evil day moment, this season of evil that hit David's life was a transition point in his ministry. Before Ziglag, David was a poor man who was constantly borrowing from everybody. After Ziglag, David stepped into an abundance of wealth and blessing because not only did he recover the spoil of those that spoiled him, but he recovered spoil that they had spoiled other people with. And it says that David made gifts for all the people that he had borrowed from and sent it to them after Ziglag. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? How many know right before God has tremendous promotion and blessing for you in an area, how many of the enemy is going to come in and try to mess that up? So if you can just stay the course and stand still and see the victory of God when you're going through a challenging time, on the other side is breakthrough. On the other side is increase. On the other side is influence. David was never the same after Ziglag. From then on, you just see him increase until eventually the crown's on his head. But Ziglag was the point. What if David had quit at that point? Would he have ever been king? I mean, he probably wanted to quit more at that point than he'd ever had in his entire life. But he didn't. And he stayed the course, and God restored and brought restoration into his life. Now, 2 Kings chapter 6, and, and we're going to close right here. We see an, an example in Scripture where there's an actual siege that's happening. Uh, you know, much, much like the, the 
similar to the siege that's happening over in Ukraine right now. This actually happened in Scripture, and um, they were besieging Samaria. Let's, pick, let's take a look at it. Second, or Second Kings chapter 6 and verse 24. And it says, and it, and it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver, one-fourth of the cab of dove dropping for five shekels of silver. Now, what's happening is there's a siege that's happening, and it is impacting the economy of the city. The city is, uh, they're running out of food to eat. People are, are literally starving. <clears throat> and they give an example of extreme inflation in here. And so they're, they're, they're having a hard time, right? And so now let's see how this siege was broken. It wasn't broken by armies. Um, it wasn't broken by military might. It, it was broken by four lepers who chose to believe God. Nobody else was believing God. But these four lepers chose to believe God and broke the siege. Let's look at it. I mean, oh, God just needs a small number to, to believe Him, right? Small number to trust Him. He doesn't need the masses. Second Kings chapter 7, and verse 19, it says, Then... Um, actually, sorry, 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3. It says, Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. If we sit here, we die also. Now therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall only die. And they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians, and when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. Now, let's stop here for a moment. Now, these guys' motives aren't great. <laughs> these guys' faith is not huge. These just couple of dudes being like, look, why sit we here till we die? Let's do something different than what we've always done to see if we can't get a different result pretty simple logic, right? But God take God latches on to that simple logic and does a miracle. It says, um, when they got to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there, for the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of the chariots and the noise of the horses and the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And so here's what happened. They left all of their stuff unprotected and just ready for the spoil. And so what happens is these four guys go in, they spoil the camp, they start to feel a little bit bad that they're enjoying this just for themselves, so they go back to the city and they tell everybody, hey, look, the armies are gone. And let's, let's see what happens to, to the individuals <clears throat> 2 Kings 7, verse 19. Then, then that officer had answered the man of God and said, Now look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? People didn't, because the prophet prophesied this is going to happen. He was like, look, tomorrow inflation is broken and everything's back to normal. And the guy was like, there's no way that's going to happen. And he said, okay, you don't believe it? That's cool. It's still going to happen, but you're not going to enjoy it. Amazing. How many of you know God can break inflation overnight? Just like that. So don't be scared. Amen. Then the officer had answered the man of God and said, Now look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. So it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. He never got the taste of it. But how many know it came, and it was a reality, and the famine was broken, and it was the product of just a couple people, right? How many know that, that, that when the enemy lays siege to your heart and your life, trying to bring you into a place of hopelessness, the enemy cannot sustain an attack, and every battle has an expiration date. So if you'll stand fast, if you'll speak the truth of God's Word, if you'll pray in the Spirit, 
if you'll draw near to the Lord in a place of relationship and above everything else, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't allow hopelessness to come in because that evil day will break way for a ziglag, for increase, for prosperity. How many people have you seen that are very wealthy now that went bankrupt at some point? The numbers are amazing on how many times. Because see, the, the issue is, I mean, you know, we want to handle our failures the way God says handle failure. How does God say handle failure? Get back up. <laughs> he said, oh, you failed. That's never happened before. <laughs> you know what his words to you are always? Get back up. Get back in the saddle. Let's go. How I many know oh, God doesn't hold your past against you, right? Can I get an amen? How I many know oh, God has nothing but a bright future for you? But how you handle your, your fall is, is huge. How do you handle it? Well, you get back up, amen? And, and just understand that that season is not going to last forever, and God's going to bring a new season into your life, and it's going to be an awesome season. It's going to be a breakthrough season, right? And also not allow the enemy to bring fear in our hearts concerning what's happening in the world, okay? Don't do that. How many of y'all want to be the ones that are planted by the rivers of living water? I think I want that, right? We can have that. Amen? What, how do we do that? We put our trust in the Lord. We don't put our trust in man, right? We bring forth our fruit in season. Amen? Did you guys get anything out of that today? Amen. Amen. I, enjoyed, I enjoyed speaking it. Um, thank you, Lord. I mean, there's a ton of other places to go, but I think that's it, man. That's, that's what the Lord wanted to say today. So, amen. Well, if you need to give it out this morning, lift your hand up. We'll get one to you. Those of you that are watching online, um, if you'd like to give into our ministry, go to gracepointgeorgetown.com. Um, praise God. It's so funny. I'm smiling because today is like the coldest day when you get the least sleep and some of y'all managed to get in here. I'm impressed. <laughs> like, good job. Hey, yeah, I got uh, our book is, our children's book.